0: First Timothy chapter number one. I I tell you what I want us to just focus in on. We're going to read the entire chapter eventually, or at least the great bulk of it. But look at verse number fifteen, if you would. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. That would be a wonderful statement if we just stopped right there. But notice what Paul added. Of whom I am chief. May we pray? Father, it could be today that we have someone seated in the congregation who feels that perhaps they're the chief of sinners. Someone among us would probably been more places, done more things, committed more sins than others, but truth be known, Father, we're we're all sinners, and we need the grace of God. Thank you, Father, that once we're saved, we're a saint. We're not perfect, but we're perfect and complete in Christ. In Him, we are without fault. In Him... We're perfectly redeemed, we're perfectly saved, we're perfectly sanctified. Help us, my Father, to make the practical things that we need to do and adjustments in our life. And make application of Scripture to ourselves day by day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've done some preaching recently trying to uh, help folk and try to make sure you understand that there's a difference between our position in Christ and our position in the world. There's a distinction between the fact that we're redeemed by the grace of God and we are completely, absolutely, as 100% saved as we can possibly be, and then in this process that we call sanctification, whereby we are going to be more and more like Jesus Christ. We're, We're not finished yet. But in salvation, we're done. In my sanctification, I need to be more like Christ. But in my salvation, I'm like him already. (laughs) I'm predestinated to be conformed to the image of God's own dear son, Romans chapter number 8. Let's look at this chapter and try to put some things together. And hopefully that'll help you in the Lord and, and you'll know a little something more about this chapter when we get done than when we started. I'm, I'm going to break it down into five sections. Five sections. We're going to see the commandment of God in verses 1 through 7. We're going to see the law of God in verses 8 through 11. We're going to see the ignorance of sin in verses 12 through 14. Then we're going to see the pattern of grace verses 15, 16, and 17. Then we're gonna see the charge that was committed to Timothy in verses 18 through 20. So let's read a little bit in the early part of the chapter. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. Paul wasn't picked by people, he was picked by God. If you remember the book of Acts, chapter number one, uh, the disciples met and they said, we've gotta pick one person who's been with us all this time, to take the place of Judas Iscariot, the, the traitor who had hung himself, and if you read your scripture closely, you know that not only did he hang himself, but he fell, a rope broke, or something ha- happened, a tree limb, or maybe his head came off, we don't know. But he fell and he landed on sharp rocks and uh, burst uh, asunder, the Bible says, and his, and his bowels came out. So I'm, he died a horrid death. But the disciples said, we've got to pick one. And they picked Matthias. And he, he really, don't see him in scripture much after that. Paul was God's pick. Paul was God's pick. So he's made an apostle by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my own son, in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And he begins to admonish him about what he is supposed to do. So this commandment of God, that as far as Paul's aspect goes, is that God put him in the place to be the apostle to the Gentiles. In my Sunday school time this morning, we looked at that somewhat. Consider this. The book of Acts from chapter nine forward is concerned almost completely with Gentiles. And we're Gentiles, we're not Jewish people. We didn't become Israel when we got saved. We're not replacing Israel. British Israelism is a false doctrine, and thank God you don't hear much about it anymore. But uh, we, we don't replace Israel. We belong to the New Testament bride, the body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this commandment uh, that Paul received was exercised in bringing your forefathers in mind to Christ. Just look through history and see where we were when the gospel found us. You find pagan Greece, you find pagan Rome, you find Africa wholly given over to idolatry, you find places in India where they worship the Ganges River, they worship the crocodiles that were there, you find through history, men have worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, all types of things, and men have worshipped themselves. That's what atheism is. It elevates the individual's intellect above everybody else, and they, they determine what's right and what's wrong and all those kinds of things, and so atheists worship themselves. According to Romans 1, uh, when they first began to worship other things, they worship men. Statues made like men. It's an amazing thing. When I was in Romania, they had the Romanian Orthodox Church, and they're, they're against idols. But they had 3D pictures made out of metal. They were stamped out metal, and so when you got close to them, they were uh, 3D. And they had actually kissed a hole in one of these metallic... Uh, icons is what they call them uh, and they had kissed a host of that thing by so many people kissing it and kissing it and kissing it and kissing it and can I say this you can kiss every icon and statue there is it's not going to help you get to heaven you know it's like the fellow said one time said you can get baptized in every creek and pond and lake till every tadpole in the county knows your social security number it won't take you to heaven But we find Paul's ministry was mainly to Gentiles and how he reached uh, Gentile people. And we owe Paul a tremendous debt Because you and I are here saved today. If you're a believing Christian, you're saved today because of the work that Paul the apostle did, the seed that he sowed all through the Middle East and up into Europe as he took the gospel to pagan people with his great linguistic ability to learn new languages very rapidly and present the gospel, which is not the, you know, there's some... Uh, aspects of the gospel that that you'd have to present in somebody's native language for them to get a good grip and and understanding on. What a man Paul was and what what a debt we owe. And then he turns around and said, Timothy, this is the same thing that God wants you to do. And he says here in verse three, I besought thee still to abide at Ephesus when I went to Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Well, you wouldn't think in the early days of the church they'd have false doctrine, would you? They're just getting started, here come the wolves. They're just getting started, here comes the legalists. They're just getting started, here come the Judaizers. You know, it's, it's, believe on Jesus that's fine but you got to get circumcised and become you know a Jew and go under the, the Jewish law well Acts chapter 15 settles that once and for all forever we as Gentiles need to abstain from fornication from blood from things strangled and that's it we didn't have all the law placed on us anybody eat a sausage biscuit this morning yeah I ate some good old ribs yesterday thanks be unto God for ribs if you were a Jew you couldn't eat those things thanks be unto God for being a Gentile amen God's been gracious to us and not placed the law upon us the law was given to show the distinction between righteousness and unrighteousness the law was not given ever given with the idea that that's how people would be saved the law was to show us that we needed to be saved that's the hardest thing to convince anybody of today that they're lost you ask somebody, are you a Christian? Well, I'm a Christian. Well, if you begin to ask them what they mean by that, they'll say, well, I believe that Jesus lived, believe that Jesus died, and all, you know. But there's never been any commitment of their, their well-being, their eternal soul into the hands of God. They just kind of believe those things as a historical context. And it is amazing, out of all the Jewish people who were crucified, we only remember the name of one, Jesus we don't, we're not even given the names of the other two that are crucified the same day as Jesus was crucified. So this commandment of God, it promoted Paul to be an apostle and it reveals the purpose of God. Look in verse number one where it says, which is our hope. You ever been hopeless? You ever been in a place where you thought There's nothing to do. I I can't do anything. This is going south. You know, that's a terrible Say thing about southerners. We all say this ain't going north. (laughs) Even Brother Taylor admitted we eat better than they do up there. That's why they invaded us. Come down here and get our food. (laughs) Hope. Hope's such a powerful thing. I read a a book one time this guy was talking about. I, I don't like rats. I'm not a pro-rat person, okay? But they took these rats and put them in this five-gallon bucket of water and timed how long it took them to drown. They said the rats kept swimming and swimming and swimming and finally they just gave up and, and just sank and died. And I forgot the time frame. Let's say five minutes or whatever. And so they took other rats and put them in the same bucket, let them swim around and around and when they were almost done, they took them out let them sit around a while and put them back in the bucket. The second group of rats swam around for 15 minutes. You know why? Because they'd given them a little hope by taking them out the first time. And they thought, if we just keep swimming long enough, they'll take us out of this one. Hope's a powerful thing. I mean, if it works for rats, think about us. When God hymns you up under what we call Holy Ghost conviction, When God gets on you about your sin, how you've lived, what you think, what's going on, when God hems you up in the corner about the fact that you're a sinner and on your way to hell, you'll be looking for some hope and the only hope you'll get then is Jesus Christ. I'm gonna get religion. I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna sing and I'm gonna tithe and all all those things are great things. I commend doing all of those. But none of those will buy your way into heaven. You, go to, you do those things because you're on your way to heaven. We have hope. Christians always have hope. You say, well, things are bad, you know, and earthquakes happen and wars happen. And, you know, over in North Africa, they're burning our, our brothers and sisters in Christ they burned up churches with as many as 300 people in them, light them on fire and anybody tries to come out through the windows and stuff, they gun them down with AK-47s you can always tell the bad guys AK-AKs amen, amen. some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about automatic Kalashnikov rifles, Russian guns and they're burning our brothers and our sisters in Christ but they're not dying without hope it may be a hopeless situation in which they're in, but they leave this world and enter the presence of God. Amen. I don't want to go that way. I don't want to be in a building that burns down around me and, and takes me out. But if I do, I just want you to know, don't look at, at that charred body and say, oh, that's awful, that happened. you just think I'm on, already on the streets of gold. Amen. It promoted Paul to be an apostle. It gave the purpose of God to give hope to hopeless men. It's why people are hopeless. They worship the wrong thing. If their hut catches on fire. They got to pick their god up and take it out. They don't have any hope. It not only does that, but it, re- it reveals the person of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. i listen when we talk about what I believe. It's not just I believe in God in some nebulous figure. I believe in the triune God that created this earth, Elohim. God the Father. God the Holy Son. God the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ is very God of very God. He's God in flesh. 100% man and 100% God at the same time. He was 100% God. He was sinless. As man, he was able to suffer. As man, he was able to experience the, the needs that I have. Hunger and weariness and exhaustion and frustration. All those types of things. He's been through those. Tempted in all points like as we. Yet without sin. God in flesh. Shows also the problem of fables and mythology, genealogies. Look at verse four. Neither do heed read the fables, endless gene- genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith. So do. You know, there were monasteries during the dark ages where they argued how many angels could stand on the head of a pen. That's profound. I mean, I don't know how I can do without knowing the answer to that question. Uh, There was argument in monasteries about whether God could have created everything instantaneously or did he have to do it the way he did it in six days. Well, if God could create anything, he can create everything. I mean, that just stands to reason. But men got so wrought up with the minutia of things like that that they left off teaching the fact that whosoever will let him come and take her the water right of life freely. For all of sin comes short of the glory of God. But that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. They'd forgotten all that were All tied up with how many angels could stand on the head of that pen. Well, there's problems with fables and genealogies and mythology listen you better get your belief out of this bible you can get it from the preacher you get it out of this bible you ever heard the terminology cleanliness is next to godliness I like that I like clean people if I go to the restaurant and I'm ordering food and the the server comes and she smells nice I like that I, I like for my server to be clean well, I'm going to pop your bubble. Cleanliness is not right next to God in this. At least it's not in the Bible. It may be a pretty true statement to us, but it's not in the Bible. Every tub's got to sit on its own bottom. Well, I, yeah, I reckon that's true, but that's not in the Bible either. We get so caught up in some of those things. Don't you know, get all tied up about what angels are doing, floating around and stuff like that. When I die, there won't be necessarily somebody born to take my place, like, like God's eating in the scales and this Christian dies, has got to bring another in the world. You don't turn into an angel when you die, you're not going to have wings. We're going to judge angels. Angels will be beneath us. Even now they're they're sent forth as ministering spirits to minister unto those who shall be heirs of salvation. Don't get caught up in those kinds of things. Then he talks about a pure heart. Look at verse 5. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, a good conscience of faith unfeigned. But we need that. That's the finishing work of this commandment. Paul and Timothy both had the same calling, and their calling was to preach the word of God and tell sinners how to go to heaven. Secondly, we see the law of God. Verses 8, 9, 10, and 11. There is confusion about false teachers. Let's read there in verse number seven. Desire to be teachers of law, understanding neither what they say, nor where they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves of mankind, for men-stealers, if you want to put that in the modern term, sex traffickers, human trafficking, I think they ought to deal very harshly very harshly with these guys that are bringing these young kids across the, our southern border, shipping them in other ways. And, and I don't care what nationality, skin color those young folks are, they need to be protected. And these sex human traffickers ought to be hung, as far as I'm concerned. That's an awful thing. And the Bible condemns it here for liars, for perjured persons, if it be thing that's contrary to sound doctrine. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. These false teachers, they, they want to be a teacher, but they just conjure up something of their own. They're not connected to God, but yet they want to be seen as being spiritual. Have you ever thought about how funny that was in the Old Testament? Jeremiah the weeping prophet warned the nation of Israel don't do these things you do this God's going to judge you uh, they had killed Gedaliah, who'd been put in place by the Babylonian king and uh, Ishmael killed him then another guy goes down there and fights with Ishmael and takes the Jewish people away and he said Die ask God uh, Jeremiah ask God where we ought to go what we ought to do and he said okay took him 10 days to get an answer I may preach on that tonight I've been pondering that but uh, he gets an answer from God and he said don't go to Egypt he said if you go back to Israel God will bless you and honor you and, and the king of Babylon won't hurt you and they said no we're going to Egypt and some other prophet began to speak up that's what God wants us to do go down there we'll be safe everything will be fine. have you ever thought why, why did these prophets just manufacture something to say make the king happy, he'll put a little money in your pocket. Make the king happy, he'll feed you. False prophets. And false prophets cause confusion. You need to be careful about who you watch on YouTube, who you listen to on the radio. Not everybody that names the name of Christ is really a Christian. I've heard some come up with some humdoosers of things. Some awful stuff they preach. Be careful who you listen. Measure everything that anybody says, every preacher. Measure me, measure Pastor Taylor, Pastor Jacob, the Melander, measure everything we say through the sieve of God's word. And if it doesn't go through the scriptures, then it's wrong. Abuse in the law does not spoil its purpose. Look at verse number eight. We know the law is good if a man use it lawfully. And what do we do with the law? We preach to try to get people to come to Christ. I'm not trying to put you under any legal obligation. Can you eat hog meat? Can you eat shrimp? Can you eat catfish? You know, if it doesn't have scales, you couldn't eat it. Of course, I don't care about catfish anyway. If you want to eat it, I don't like it. I went to Captain B's the other day and that fish was so mushy I could barely eat it. I thought, thank God for shrimp fried nice and crispy. We're not trying to go under the law. We're not trying to be law keepers. We're not meeting on the Sabbath. We meet on the first day of the week. We're not law keepers. Abusing the gospel does not change its power. The law is not made for man. What does it do? It condemns folks. Even if they're teaching falsely, the, the law will still show them that they're a sinner. And by the way, false teaching will never conquer the cross. I read Urban Lutzer's book, The Cross and the Shadow of the Crescent, talking about Islam, it's supposed to be the world's fastest growing religion. I don't know if you know this or not, but they've left the back door open. A lot of Muslims getting converted. Maybe a bunch going in, but there's a bunch of them coming out. We got, I got a missionary friend, I can't tell you what country he's in, but not the one we looked at today, where some of his converts got to working in a town where the Saudis had built this big fancy mosque, and they won the Imam to the Lord, and they eventually turned the mosque into a Baptist church over in Africa. You can't conquer the cross. Muslim University studying comparative religions, which is a useless course, by the way. But well, they were studying comparative religions, and the Muslim professor assigned a section of scripture to everybody in the class. They had to read, and some of them got to reading it, and got so interested, they just kept reading and got saved. Just by simply reading the word of God, God revealed himself to them, and that's why we need the scriptures, and They got converted. You're not going to conquer the cross with all this nonsense. I've read the last page of the book. Uh, We read a little bit in Revelation 19 this morning. False religion's going down. The church is going to be in heaven. The law reveals our sinfulness to us, and we certainly need to know it. The ignorance of sin, verses 12, 13, and 14. Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who enabled me, counted me faithful, put me in the ministry. And before he was what? A blasphemer, a persecutor, an injurious. We don't use that term very much, do we? But it meant he beat people up. He physically abused people. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Ignorance is not an excuse. If you're driving down the road doing 95 miles an hour because you're on I-95... And the speed limit says 65 and they pull you over and you say, well, I thought this was a special thing. You can plead ignorance all you want to, but Dudley do it's gonna write you a piece of paper out that's gonna cost you some money. That's just the way it is. Ignorance does not excuse sin, but to what sin does, it makes you ignorant. Exactly what it does. Mr. Richard Dawkins, Professor Richard Dawkins wrote a book called The God Delusion, and he's a a part of a group of what they call evangelistic atheists who are trying to push atheism and destroy Christianity. They said, Christianity is a problem. All the problems of the world come out of Christianity. We're just gonna destroy it. Mr. Dawkins, in his book, began to talk about some things. I guess he's trying to do away with miracles, and he said he's a professor at Oxford University if I remember correctly that a marble statue could actually wave its arm if all of the electrons and protons and neurons and in this case the morons all began to move in the same direction he said a marble statue could actually wave its arm he really believed that, that didn't believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, died on a cross in his place and rose from the dead three days later it's just amazing I can't remember the exact quote Stephen Hawking said Christianity is a religion for people that are scared of the dark some guy answered back said atheism is a religion for people that are scared of the light sin binds us I'm going to give you three things that sin will do to you you need to think about these number one sin has a great impact on us and we are blinded. We're blinded to its impact on our life. Sin does all kinds of things to you. It'll make you do things you didn't think you ever would do. You know the old saying sin keep you longer, take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. It, it's all those things. But sin just puts binders in front of you. And you can't see your way to God. Just look at people who, who get involved in drugs. Listen, drugs are not new. They've been doing dope for thousands of years. And yet people think today, it's not going to do to me what it's done to everybody else that's tried it. And so they'll shoot heroin in their arms or smoke cocaine or smoke crack or mess with some other kind of drug crystal meth. We've had some experience with that with my brother-in-law. And we think it's not going to do me like it's done everybody else. How dumb do you have to believe, be to believe that? That you're going to escape. You're going to be the only person in the history of humanity that escaped its clutches. Sin binds us to the impact of sin in the life, right. Number two, sin binds us to the, the fact that Christ has paid our penalty. Sin, listen, the devil doesn't care how religious you get. You can get plumb religious. I mean, come to church every service by the way I come in, come to church every service. God's people ought to be at church as often as they humanly can be. You might miss out on a Sunday night when God cuts a bee tree. But it binds you to the fact that Christ has paid you sin debt, and it makes you want to do something. What must I do to be saved? Well, the answer back is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I shall be saved in my house. What what must we do to work the works of God? And Jesus said, believe. It's not something you can do, but sin will make you think you can, It will make you try to do something. I'm I'm going to get plain religious. I'm going to pray, and I'm gonna, I'm going to read ten verses a day in the Bible. I'm going to feel. I'm going to feel religious when I'm in church and do all that kind of stuff. It's all been tried before. The only thing that works is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved in thy house. Sin will bind you to forgiveness. If your marriage is going to last, you're going to have to learn how to forgive. We've been married, how many years, baby? 51 coming up next month. I've had to forgive her. (laughs) Once or twice, maybe. Fellas, and I I mean this in all sincerity, guys, let's get honest just a minute. Our wives have done a lot more for us and been more gracious to us than we've ever been to them. It's a humbling thing sometimes. But sin binds you to that take me and say, well, that's just the way I am and if she's going to stay with me she'll have to get used to it. You jerk. <laughs> but that's what sin does to people. Sin will cause you to try to get even instead of forgive. Forgiveness is such a powerful thing. It's wonderful when you forgive people. And all of that pin-up pressure and all that pin-up anxiety just goes. And then no matter what they say or do, you can just smile and say, I've, I've forgiven. Mercy and grace are God's answer for every single need. Verses 13 and 14. And then we see Paul's personal testimony. In verse 15, he said, What? This is a faithful saint and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. That's the pattern of grace. Paul said, I was the worst. I was the worst. You've know, got a pretty good argument for that at that point. Along comes a fellow by the name of Mao Zedong and uh, he killed, I forgot how many millions of his people, but a lot of them are Christians. And then there's this fellow by the name of Joseph Stalin. These are all wonderful people. Just ask any college professor. They'll tell you how nice these folks are. Who starved the Ukraine nearly into, into oblivion. And who murdered untold numbers of people and incarcerated Christians and abused them just awful ways. But Paul said I was the worst. I was the worst. In the book of Acts chapter nine, verse one and two, Paul's on his way to Damascus and he's going to arrest men and women. He's going to put them in jail. He's involved in their deaths. And on the way to Damascus, God shone the light out of heaven and knocked him off with the Cadillac of his day, a donkey. Put him on the ground and blinded him for three days. And brother, when the scales came off, Paul's eyes saw soon to be called Paul God set him on fire for Jesus and he went out that way they chopped his head off but he went out still on fire for God Jesus came into the world to save sinners God intervened you've heard me say this before With all the the hordes of hell all the demons of hell and all of that that have been turned loose on this world God's answer was a lamb behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world when you get to Revelation chapter number 5 and the angel says uh, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed open the book and loose the seals rub the the there thereon John said and I beheld the Lamb as it had been slain when Jesus introduced himself in the upper room to the disciples who were so scared they shut the doors and the shutters he said here's my hands and here's my side it's me then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord, the Bible said. God intervened in this world and he sent his son Jesus Christ to be our, our redeemer. He came to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Right. He could have condemned us but he didn't. He could have said, this is what you should have been and I'm going to exterminate you and start over. But he didn't. He let his son build a calvary's cross and put all of his infinite eternal wrath on top of his, the shoulders of his son. And Jesus, the Lamb of God, died in your place and in mine. Paul is a murderer. You and I are guilty of the death of Christ. I never killed anybody. Yeah, you killed Jesus. Right. He was nailed that cross because of your sin. And if you hadn't been, you'd be on your way to hell today. Right. That word chief, he said, I was the chief of sinners. I looked the word up, thought it might say something. You know, I heard somebody say one well, time, if you'll save the chief, you'll save all the Indians, but there's no ethnic connotation like that in the scripture. The word chief just simply means the foremost, the one out in front. He was the pattern of a Jew who hated Christ and he became the pattern of a Jew who believed in Christ. Let me read a little quote to you. Time's getting away. That so it might stand upon the record to the end of time for the encouragement of all others in every age and nation who believe in Christ and allowing his merits and grace for the pardon of their sins and the gift of eternal life to prevent their being bowed down in discouragement by looking back at the number and nature and grievousness of their sins. If you get saved, you're forgiven of whatever you've done. You say, oh, but maybe I sinned so bad God won't save me. You can't find that in the Bible. The pattern of grace continues. Every sinner is saved the same way today. We got saved the same way Adam did. Adam believed God. On October the 28th, 1974, Freeman Williams believed God. Got the same kind of salvation Adam got. Same kind Paul got. I'm not perfect. I've struggled. I'm I'm a man, I'm a human. I, I got issues just like you do. Well, once in a while God pulled back the curtains of, of invisibility, you get kind of a little spiritual glimpse into heaven, and man, it puts some fire in the barrel then. Circumstances may vary, but grace does not. Jesus said, All the Father doeth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I'll in no wise cast out. No man can come unto me which, except the Father which has sent me drawing. That's the work of the Spirit of God to draw you to Christ. If you're under conviction today, if you have an urging to come to the Lord, that's the Spirit of God drawing you. Amen. Jesus said, now nah, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. And this pattern of grace is the only wise God. Verse 17, now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible. The only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. What a God we serve. When we are spiritual, Serving the Lord burns in our heart. We like it. Notice the conflict that Timothy had to face. Verse 18, warfare. Warfare. Here's the two areas where we fight. Number one, being faithful. Just be faithful. Sin will weaken you. Sin will sap your spiritual strength. And then keep a good conscience. Can I say this as strongly as I know how? Don't accept defeat as being permanent. You're not the only Christian to make a mess. You're not the only believer to fall flat on his face or her face. You're not the only believer that maybe has done something that, oh, be I, I hate for anybody to know this. You're not the first. And if you fell and you landed on your face, you sinned against God, can I encourage you? The Bible says if you confess your sins, he's faithful just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do not accept your defeat as being permanent. It's not. Right. Four thoughts now be done quickly. Be a pattern of grace in your sphere of influence. Be a pattern of grace to your family. Show them what God's done for you. Be a pattern of grace to your friends be a pattern of grace unto your fellow workers be overwhelmed with our God <laughs> you'll never brag on him too much I commend to you the practice of every once in a while just praying a prayer where all you do is brag on God you don't ask for a thing just brag on him start reading off his name El, Elohim El Elion, uh, El Shaddai Jehovah Sabaoth, Jehovah Nisi, uh, the Lord our banner, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord Sabaoth, the God of the military armies of heaven. Our, we got a great God that we serve. brag on him. Behold him in your devotional time. Be consumed, be overwhelmed with the person of our God. I'm not serving some little God that big I can slip in my pocket and walk around with like the Egyptians did my God fills up space but space doesn't fill him up. I can't go anywhere where he isn't already there. I can't, nothing can happen to me that he doesn't know about. I serve a great and gracious God. Amen. Be convinced of mercy in your life. Your old flesh nature is still active but defeat is not permanent. Then the last thing, keep short accounts with God. So what do you mean by that preacher? I mean when you know you have sinned, do something about it. Run to God. You might say something like this God it's me I've done it again. Lord I, I told you I wouldn't but I did. He's not ever going to get tired of you. He's not ever going to shove you away. He's not ever going to say, no, I won't listen. Heads are eyes are closed, no one's looking about. The Bible says, let us come boldly on the throne of grace. Let's sing Just As I Am. This morning, I think it's 290 something, but I'm not positive. But have someone that's a preacher, I'm that person. I'm the one that feels like they're the chief of sinners. I'm the one that feels like nobody's bad as me. I sure need to get saved. Would you slip your hand up and hold it just a moment? Be honest with God. God already knows. So I need to be saved, preacher. I know I'm not. I sure want to be. Would you have a Christian that slipped their hand up and said, Preacher, I've messed up. God knows I've messed up. Some help. God bless you. Thank you. Anyone else? Would you just slip your hand up and hold it a moment, so we can just pray for it and ask the Lord to minister to you. Let's stand our feet with our head bowed and our eyes closed. Father, I don't deserve to preach the message, but I believe it's true, and I pray, Father, the results will be of what the Spirit of God does in people's hearts this morning.